So I want to share with you our scripture reading this morning uh, that uh, Doug will be using for his message. And uh, that is going to be, first of all, Ephesians. It's all from uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Uh, First verses 1 to 10 and then verses 14 to 22. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Good morning. I'm always amazed how the songs that are selected by our praise team fit right into the whole worship theme. Um, I I never give any input for the things that will be selected beginning time, but, but... Sandy and the team, thank you. Those all fit perfectly. 
Um, the, the Sunday School lesson, the Gospel Project lesson today is titled Breaking Down Barriers. And if we're breaking down barriers, we're seeking unity, just as we've already sung this morning. In Philippians 2.2, Paul writes this. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And, and there are barriers. Barriers exist in a variety of settings. There's different forms. Uh, there's physical barriers, emotional barriers, psychological barriers, spiritual barriers, relational barriers. Many things get in the way of relationships. Um, there, there are some barriers that can be healthy, can be beneficial, maybe even necessary, but many barriers are unhealthy and can even be damaging. Uh, some, some examples, some physical barriers, things that divide and differentiate. Medians on a divided highway, those are there providing safety from oncoming traffic. You, you'd need those. If you're playing sports, your two teams, it does help to have different uniforms. That's a barrier, but that helps in clarity of who your teammate is. Uh, glass in a storefront window provides a barrier between those that aren't buying something, they haven't paid for it, and, and just the products, the, the safety and the, uh, of, the, of the products in the window. Now, some barriers that are not good and have not been good. Uh, I thought of the Nazi prison camps in Auschwitz imprisoning the Jews. The Berlin Wall from years ago. And, you know, some of the debate, the, the uh, U.S.-Mexico border. There's, there's barriers that do exist to keep things safe, to keep things separate. Again, not all good, not all bad. Some of those depend on the setting. Uh, there's barriers for speed. Speed limits are barriers that by law we're not supposed to be crossing. Now, have all of you drivers been perfect in your following of that barrier? And I'm raising my hand, but I need to drop my hand. Because no, I'm not either. Um, but, but those barriers, and, and sometimes, you know, with barriers... If you break that barrier by four or five miles an hour, even the police officers might be forgiving and let you pass. You break the barrier by 10, 15, 20 mile an hour, and now you're probably going to be stopped. So there's different barriers and how drastically you break some of those. Uh, one cool speed barrier is a sound barrier. Uh, if you've ever seen or heard an airplane and a sonic boom. That's breaking the sound barrier. Barriers in communication occur. Uh, different languages spoken around the world. Um, Dawn and I had an opportunity to Zoom with Endalk's home church. And that communication occurred in English. Um, yeah, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I'm not bilingual. But it does help to be bilingual, multilingual, to communicate worldwide. Computers don't always communicate perfectly either. Uh, there's different signals that uh, need to be connected from one computer to another. And if you're looking for a file and all of a sudden error 404 pops up, file not found. Okay, there, there's miscommunication that happens there. There's a barrier. Communicating with a software program can be a challenge. And you know, Wes already feels picked on with the dancing that you saw him 
do up front? Well, my, my office is right around the corner from Wes's, and there are times where Wes will be working on his laptop, on his computer, using the, uh, you know, the Microsoft, the, the Word program, and I will hear, oh, come on, don't do that. I didn't want that to happen. Well, and, and I've been there too. I mean, the, the program doesn't do exactly what you want it to do. So there's a barrier. Now, you know, at home, I can log on with my laptop and connect to our, our F drive and get access, but it takes a little bit of time for my computer to connect. So, so there are barriers that need to be worked through. I had to think of sign language. Sign language is a way for communication to occur with individuals who are deaf, but that breaks down a barrier. Um, referees and umpires use hand signals during a game to give a quick explanation to those in the, in the stands who may disagree with them. 50%, um, right? 50% disagree with the refs. Um, but, but it's communication that occurs to help break down barriers um, in, in that direction. And generally, barriers are encouraged to not be built up in our lives. They tend to restrict interaction. They restrict freedom. Um, barriers tend to not create or nurture unity. And generally, we look to reduce barriers. Uh, there, there can be some barriers that can be helpful. Um, I, I think of restraining orders that that have been placed at different times, those are there for different reasons. But generally those are there because there's other communication that is probably broken down. And there's probably barriers that still are in that relationship. And, and in Ephesians with what Wes was reading, um, Paul is writing to both the Jews and the Gentiles because each group had a bit of a bias with the other one. So there were some barriers that were potential um, Chuck Colson uh, had wrote in uh, this website, the Insight for Living Ministries website, Chuck Colson wrote this about Ephesians. Ephesians deals with topics at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. And so what Paul was seeing from the church at Ephesus is that there was a potential for two separate churches to be kind of created, one Jewish, one Gentile. And that's not the direction for a united church to be growing. I recently read a book by Thaddeus J. Williams titled Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And it says it's based, it's set up in 12 questions. It says 12 questions Christian should ask about social justice. And so one of the main thoughts as I took notes through that, that Williams kept coming back to was this, um, and I would summarize it this way, if you are not able to see the person that you are in disagreement with, the person that you are at odds with, if you cannot see them as a divine image bearer of God, then you are off base as a Christian from the very beginning of your discussion. Can you see the other person as an image bearer of God? Then you can progress. So Paul's focus in Ephesians was to make sure that the Jews and the Gentiles would be identifying themselves as children of God. What is common with them? One common faith in Jesus Christ as the master and savior of their lives. And how would that be occurring? 
Um, I, I, would, I would say Paul's headline could be, remove the barriers. This is who you are in Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so I, I want to take the verses that Wes read in chapter 2 and kind of look at four different parts to those. The first uh, would be in verses 1 and 2, and I would summarize that by basically saying, all have sinned. And so I'm going to read this again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Jews and Gentile alike were born into sin. Romans 5.12, Paul wrote, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. So there is no difference in how we enter the world. We are all sinners. We will all sin sometime in our life. And then when we repent, we're going to sin again the next day or the next week, whenever that's going to be. Multiple times throughout our lives, we have a sinful nature. And Satan is going to be active in tempting us every possible way he can. 1 Peter 5.8 gives us this encouragement and an alert. It says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan doesn't care if you're Jew or Gentile. He doesn't care if you're Democrat or Republican, man or woman, old or young, Notre Dame fan or Michigan fan, right? Doesn't care. He's tempting everybody, looking for the desires of our heart that are leading us astray. Satan is an equal opportunity tempter, and he's looking to trap us with sins every time possible. But, but in here, in verse 2, I want to read this again and emphasize something. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Paul's saying to the Ephesians church, you are no longer dead. You used to live with transgressions and sins, but you're not there any longer. And why not? Well, if you go further down to verse 8 and 9, we are saved by grace. For as by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace. And what grace is defined as is undeserved favor. And I've heard for many years, you know, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. It's not earned. It's not owed to you and me in any way. But it's still offered and given freely by a loving God. I ran across a story and a bit of a description of grace on a website called gotquestions.com. And I want to read this. It's, it's about grace. This example may help illustrate the above view of grace. A teenager works hard all summer to save money to buy a car. He works a regular job and does yard work and odd jobs on the side. He saves his money and does not spend it frivolously. 
Nevertheless, at the end of the summer, he simply does not have enough money to buy a car that will meet his needs. His father, seeing his diligence and frugality, graciously steps in and not only makes up the difference, but also adds more money to the car fund so that his son can buy a car that is better than he thought he could ever afford. The son's best effort was not good enough, but the father's grace makes up the difference. No one would claim that the father was obligated to make up the difference, so when he does, it is an act of grace. If the son had been fired from his job for showing up late, had lazed around at the pool every day instead of working, or had spent what money he had on fast food and video games, then the father would not have stepped in to make up the difference. It would be incorrect to say that the son earned the car, for he did not. But his effort did trigger a gracious response from the father. And then the next paragraph in this continues on. It says, according to the Bible, is this really grace? The answer is no. Grace is undeserved favor. It is God's blessing on the unworthy. In the example above, the father bestowed his favor because he felt his son's effort should be rewarded. The father's gift was based on a genuine effort by the son and was therefore not true grace. Now, I would say there's still grace in there, but it's not complete grace. Jesus illustrated true grace with the story of a father who received his runaway son with celebratory joy, the prodigal son. A totally unworthy individual who brought nothing to his father except dishonor and shame was lavished with undeserved blessings. That's the end of the story that they give. So the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, that is pure grace. Undeserved forgiveness. Undeserved honoring. And that's the grace that God gives us. We don't earn grace because we have worked to a certain level. We earn grace, we earn forgiveness because God says, you know what? You have sinned and you're going to sin tomorrow and you're going to sin the next day and the next week. And I'm providing grace. So no matter how we try, we will never earn grace and salvation ourselves. It's not going to be because of our goodness, our kindness, or our good deeds. And yet we are called to do good deeds. We are called to do good things. We're called to live faithfully. James 2.26 Faith without deeds is dead. Faith without works is dead. Um, and so here's where I go with the works. The third part, and this would be from verses 10 and 22. To be used by God. So we are called to works. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And later in verse 22, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God's spirit is to work within us. So with our good works, God has prepared for us those works in advance, but in doing those good works, that's not gaining us salvation. The good works that we're called to do are a response of gratitude and praise for what God has already done for us. He saved us from death. Our works are not saving us in any way. 
The fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 is a result of the Spirit of God living and moving within us. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are a response and result of our commitment and faith in Jesus Christ being lived out. We don't do those things to gain salvation. But if we're not willing to be used by God, if we're not willing to recognize opportunities, we're missing out on an opportunity to be praising God, worshiping him day in and day out. And maybe if those things aren't being done, maybe that is an indication of where our faith is, where our commitment is, and where our gratitude is for what God has done for us. The actual gift of salvation will always be available and is given to us freely. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, it doesn't say you might bear much fruit. It says you will. It, it should be there. It should be evident. Verse 22 states that God is wanting to use each of us. He's building us to become a dwelling for his spirit. That is his plan. That is his desire for us to be in him. So will we allow any barriers that we might bring, any barriers, differences that we may have within our selfish will, are we willing to put those aside and let God's will drive us? That's our opportunity for unity. So the final fourth part that I want to refer to would have to do with one family. Verse uh, 14 to 15 with, with uh, what Wes read. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So God destroyed the barrier between Jews and Gentiles with Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection. Jesus fulfilled the law of the prophets. The law was fulfilled. Jesus Christ died for everyone. So Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection create a setting where one church, one faith in him would be formed. Regardless of the birth identity as a Jew, as a Gentile, we're all adopted into the one family and the one true God. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And, and that crying, Abba, Father, we acknowledge that we all have one common father in heaven. One family, one father. When Dawn and I adopted Nick from Vietnam many, many years ago, we welcomed him and we brought him into our family. Not as a stranger, not as a foreigner, but as our son. Nick is our son. 
Nick is a fellow citizen of the United States. Nick is a full member of our household. And even more directly and personally, I will say Nick is my son. And Dawn would say the same thing. Nick is her son. There's not the word adopted that goes into that. Ryan is my son. Natalie is my daughter. Nick is my son. Those are all the same. God didn't adopt us into his family just part way. Any more than Nick is just a partial son for Dawn and I. When we offer ourselves to God, God claims us completely and fully as his own. He desires us to be with him 100%. He loves his children 100%. When the Doug Gerber family takes or took family pictures as the kids grew up, we didn't have two different pictures. We had one picture. We were one family. In the same manner, the one true God has one family. And each of you belong to it. Each of us belongs to that one family. So therefore, in Hebrews 4.16, we're encouraged, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wes had a great prayer at the end here. God, we're seeking unity, and we need you to give us the wisdom, give us the strength to do that. We need your power. But, but there can be many times where challenges rise within congregations, within churches, with, within families, and, and even separate us from worshiping with fellow Christians. Some hurtful words can be spoken. Personal squabbles can occur. Biases, um, gossip can occur. And, and those hurt. Those are painful. Opinionated comments about who knows what can always occur. But where is our mercy? Where is our grace? Where is our forgiveness? That is what God calls us to be doing as a unit. Implementation of Sunday school years ago created some divisions with the church. As you know, do you have Sunday school? Do you not have Sunday school? How does it play out? Um, church splits have occurred over trivial scenarios. You know, so as, as we meet and we worship together, what is important, what is vital in our worship time, our Sunday school class discussions, our Wednesday night classes and meetings, our Bible study opportunities throughout the week, small group settings, whom are we serving as we meet together? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving God? Are we serving others? Are we able to recognize any barriers that might exist that cause challenges and difficulty? Are we willing to reconcile as barriers pop up? Because when, when barriers pop up, we're probably the ones that are creating them somehow. Can we reconcile any of those that may pop up? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ.
any of those discussions, and, and there need to be discussions about theology and different things that are important and, and based on the word of God, but any of those discussions should never be focused on what I want. It should always come down to what is God's word. What is true? What is God speaking to us from scripture? We're making one family of God where family members are welcomed, valued, and heard, listened to, fellowshiped with. The last part of verse 20 and reading into verse 21 says this, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Everything is based on him, his love, his forgiveness, and his word. At some time, every single one of us were foreigners and strangers to the kingdom and family of God at birth, but no longer. Don't stay there. Each one of us has an identity and a place in God's family. A church family is where brothers and, and sisters cherish one another with love, peace, joy, and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters of every family do have spats. There are disagreements. But those are not to become barriers or to remain barriers for fellowship and worship and the building up of one another, the nurturing of one another. As you look around the congregation, God has claimed every single person in the pew beside you as a child of his. And as brothers and sisters, we are called to claim that same family as one that we are nurturing, we are working with, we are fellowshipping with. One God, one family. There's a song, and this was one of the things that I was, I was working through the sermon the last couple of days, and I got to the end, and it just... Nothing seemed right as far as, you know, kind of a final wrap-up and finish. And then uh, this morning, something came to my mind as I sat down um, in my office. And Keith, you're going to love this. I went to a concert with Nick um, a month ago, maybe, a group called Disciple. They are a head-banging Christian rock group. Um, but they wrote a song back in 1999. It says, I Just Know. And if, in looking up the lyrics, on A, a to Z lyrics I use to, to get some information of what, what some of those lyrics are. In the lyrics... They actually have listed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 locations in scripture for where this song speaks. And I want to read through this. It, it refers to differences in worship, differences in rituals, differences that occur within a church that are challenging. 
So here are the verses, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish with the, with the chorus, or the, uh, the end part. It says, what makes you different from one another? Why do you argue about who you follow? There is no man that you belong to. There's only one God that can claim you. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you're into submersion or sprinkling or whatever that may be for baptism. What does it matter if you wear a liturgical robe or prophesy and say God said so? I don't care what you're wearing. Do you serve your name or do you serve mankind? Would you feel the same if they took down your sign? If all of a sudden we didn't have the title Mennonite out there, would it make a difference? Could you sit next to me if I was Baptist or Presbyterian? Or do I need to be a charismatic or Episcopalian? I don't care if you drink grape juice or if it's wine. I don't care if you get out of church on time. I'll let that sink in. What does it matter if you praise God with music in your church? Or you burn your dead, talking about cremation, or bury them six feet in the dirt? I don't care if you clap your hands. I don't care if you get out of the aisle and dance. What's it matter if someone lets out a hallelujah shout? Have we forgotten what praising Yahweh is all about? So all of those differences, and there would be many more differences that can arise as we go about worship, different churches, different denominations. But here's, here's where it comes down to. I just know Jesus is the way. I just know Jesus is the truth. I just know Jesus is the life. I know that Jesus is my God. We are one faith based on Jesus Christ. We're called to praise God with our entire life, with our fellowship, with our community. He's the one that we are to be focusing on and praising. So we are called to love, to nurture, to embrace every member of that family. To greet each other. And I know it's been a long time. I mean, and hugs still feel weird. But there's love. There is nurturing. There is encouragement that we are called to have as a focus. God is our focus. Jesus is our focus. And that embracement, that's, that's a result. That's a response for the call to community and fellowship and unity. May God be praised.